Awesome. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. That's right. We're pretty relaxed around here. If you wanna, if you wanna shout out, encourage, go for it. Um, what was that? Thank you. Done it myself. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna dive straight into the Bible this morning. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11, and we don't just believe here at um, City Church that this is just an interesting book or a story. We believe that uh, this this book is totally God breathed, and uh, actually every word is straight from the mouth of God, and it is true and it is reliable. Um, so we're in the book of Mark, and we've been going through this book, and it's one of the four. Uh, books where uh, we learn uh, the story of Jesus and there's there's four accounts of the story of Jesus and this is Mark and the thing about Mark's gospel is that it's it's really punchy like it's it's called an action gospel and we just get story after story of Jesus doing his thing on the earth signs and wonders miracles teaching his disciples um, uh, casting out demons uh, all the stuff and and we and we find ourselves here in chapter 11 um, it's probably about a week before Jesus will go and be crucified and three days later rise again and defeat death and sin forever. Um, so this is a really, actually a really crucial moment in the story of Mark uh, where Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Um, and it's, it's God's declaration of love for us. And it's amazing that he would send his son and that he who knew no sin would become sin so that we might become right with God. Can I, can I get an amen, please? Um, I love that we dedicate a huge chunk of our time uh, to worship. Um, and I'm not just paid to say that as the worship pastor. I actually believe that it's true. Um, but, but I feel like it's important to say at this stage that, that the music is not worship. Um, just right, you know, we often refer to parts of our services as this is the worship time. Um, but it's but it's not worship. Music facilitates our worship. Actually, the Bible says worship is our whole lives, and we need to give our whole lives as an offering. Um, but for the sake of this morning, uh, we're going to be focusing on our gathered times of worship, and um, it's those moments where we get to turn our affection, our attention, our time, our effort, our hearts, and our minds towards Him for all He's done for us. And here in the story, we're going to see that the people of God are drawn to one response as their King Jesus rides into Jerusalem. That, was the, that response is the same as what we've been doing this morning, and that's worship. So let's read. It's Mark chapter 11, uh, from verse 1. It should come up on the screen. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. It's a free donkey. It's not bad. It's not bad. Um, when, they bought the, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. 
He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. I'm looking around the room. Uh, I see a lot of humble people. Can you just put your hand up if you're the most humble? No one was supposed to put their hand up there, Mark. (laughs) But yet, I wonder just for a minute, as humble as we are, uh, could we think of, you know, what? What's the, what's the nicest thing you've ever done for somebody that you loved? What's, what's the nicest thing? Maybe it's like a really trivial thing, like, oh, I washed my wife's car. I don't have a wife, but, you know, trying to relate. Um, or maybe you uh, do the dishes every night. I, I know that Mark uh, faithfully cooks dinner probably nine times out of ten, maybe 99 out of 100 in the Forbes household. That's his way of just loving his family every single day. I wonder if you can think. And, you know, I'm sure we can all think of something. And to, to take that a step further, after you had done that nice thing for the person that you loved, what kind of response were you expecting? You know, was it, ah, cheers, no worries. Or was it, oh, thank you so much. Oh, I'm so glad you did that. Oh, you're the best. I love you. Um, you know, we, we, we can do these things and expect a response. And uh, there was one morning, uh, it was probably about 11 or 12, and uh, it was during the summer holidays. And um, I woke up a little earlier than usual, so I came down the stairs and I looked at my dad's bedroom door and I saw that it was still shut. And I was like, oh, dad's still in bed. I have a great opportunity here. I'll do something really nice. I'll make him breakfast in bed. Sounds good. Sounds good. So I went to the kitchen. Um, if you know me, I'm not very good in the kitchen, so it was pretty basic cereal. Maybe some fruit in there. Uh, get the coffee, and then I'm, you know, there I am walking up the corridor, tray in hand, uh, just thinking to myself, "Wow, this is this is nice. This is real nice." You know, and my my dad's gonna be like, you know, yeah, I've I've got an older sister. You're the favorite son. This is you. You're on number one. She's the eldest, but you've just got it. And I'm thinking of all these things he's gonna say. I'm really excited. And, uh, you know, I'm expecting this response from my dad, and I'm expecting it to be really good. Anyway, I, I open the door uh, with excitement, look over at the bed. Turns out dad's gone to work that day, and he's probably left about three hours previously. And I'm just stood with his breakfast at hand, a little disappointed, no one to eat it. That's not the response I was expecting, because well, it's not the response I was expecting, because he wasn't there. You know, in this um, story that we've just read, I don't know what kind of response Jesus was expecting from the people. You know, this was Jerusalem. This was the home to many of God's people, and they'd they'd been on a journey with God for generations before. But the fact is that their response to Jesus entering in was worship. It's what we do every Sunday when we gather. Um, It's what we do with our lives. And that response was Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. See, God's people up until this point had been hearing from God through the prophets um, that the Lord would give a word to maybe one or two people and they would speak on behalf of the Lord to the people. But the, th- the thing is that at this point, at this time in history, uh, there had been about 400 years of uh, silence. There had been no prophets. Uh, God uh, wasn't speaking to his people. Um, so I don't know about you, but... Um, if I was one of God's people, I would start to wonder. I'd start to say, 
Where is God? Where is this promised Messiah? Where is the Savior? Where is the one that will deliver us from our enemies and make us right with God? See, the people at this stage were absolutely desperate for a Savior. They were absolutely desperate for Jesus. And here he is. And it's actually a huge fulfillment of prophecy that, that Jesus is what is coming into Jerusalem in this way on a donkey. We can find it in Zechariah. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, that's the people of God. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. You know, the Jewish, the Jewish people at the time, having been familiar with the scripture, would have been driven to no other response than to worship the coming king. And this is a hugely significant moment for the people of God and for the story of Jesus while he was here on earth. You know, speaking of significant moments, I wonder, and we were singing about it today, which is beautiful. I wonder if we can think about uh, the moment, you know, if, you, if you're here and you follow Jesus this morning, if you can think about the moment when you first decided to follow him. If you can think about that first moment. I was, uh, I was, I was an insecure 11-year-old, worried about what everyone thought of me. Uh, unfulfilled on the inside until I met Jesus. And now I love him. I wonder if there's similar stories around the room when we think about what we were like before we met Jesus and what we're like now. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. The Jewish people were responding to Jesus coming. God is longing for our response to his great love that we would offer our whole lives as worship to him as well. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning is worship. And we're going to focus on the on the singing expression of worship. And um, I'm just going to look at what the Jewish people were saying and um, how they were saying it and what they were doing. And we're going to make three observations. And um, hopefully we'll be encouraged to keep on worshiping. Um, so the first one, worship is surrender. Look down at verse 8. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. See, worship is surrender. We have in the story this beautiful picture of the laying of cloaks and the laying of uh, branches before uh, Jesus on the donkey that's riding through. And both, um, when you look at the context of the day, and um, I'm not going to go into it too much now, but both point towards the fact that they are saying Jesus is the king. This is like a royal welcome for Jesus. Um, it's a full body, physical act of surrender to the king. And in one symbolic act of submission, the crowd is saying, Jesus, you are the king. You know, it seems that for us today, there's an element of surrender for our worship. Maybe for some of us, there's moments uh, when we gather to sing together that we actually just need to say, Jesus, you're the king. I'm not. I wonder, uh, for some of us, uh, we need to, and I speak to myself uh, more than anyone, but we need to say no to pride. And we need to put ourselves aside and just say, no, Jesus, it's about you. It's not about me. And I find it um, really interesting that for a whole bunch of the people in the crowd, they probably were expecting a different kind of king. Um, when uh, this Messiah was spoken about in the Old Testament and when the Jewish people would have been reading about that, they were probably thinking of some sort of political leader that would come and set them free from Roman rule. Uh, maybe he would come into Jerusalem riding on a horse, dressed in armor, 
with a huge procession or an army behind him ready to um, drive out the Romans. But um, Jesus wasn't the kind of king uh, they were expecting. He comes lowly on a donkey, humble. Um, and we know why now. We know the end of the story that a week later Jesus would go on to be crucified. His mission wasn't uh, to overthrow a government, but it was to die uh, for us. It was to die for our sins, take the punishment, and in rising again, defeat death and sin forever. See, Jesus humbled himself, and in the same way, we get to humble ourselves before him. But this idea of surrender isn't very popular in our culture today, is it? We can, we can be so me-focused. We can get the job and the house and the promotion, and those are all good things, but so often... I know for myself, I put myself as the king of my life. I wonder if sometimes we are resistant to surrender because we're expecting the wrong kind of king, just like the Jewish people were. So I just want to read a little bit from Matthew uh, 6. You can read along if you want, Matthew 6.25, but I'm going to read it. And I, I just want to align our, you know, just a small um, part of 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 what kind of king it is that we are worshipping, because maybe we're expecting the wrong kind of king. And maybe if we knew who Jesus really was, if we knew the true Jesus, the true God, maybe we would be more inclined to say, yeah, I'm going to surrender to you. So I'm going to read. This is the God we serve. This is the God we surrender to. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, he will not will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, the passage is saying, surrender to him, and all these things will be added. Now, let's think about this idea of surrender, and we don't just surrender our, our plans. We don't just surrender our ideas, but actually in worship, we get to surrender our fears, and we get to surrender our anxieties, and we get to surrender all the stuff that would hold us back from the life to the full that Jesus promised. This is the kind of king um, that we worship. I can't think of anyone I'd rather surrender to than the one who knows my every need and has promised to provide it. That's point one, surrender. Number two. Verse nine, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted. Um, You see, worship to God is focused. It is focused. We're we're lined up uh, this morning and, you know, we all kind of do this and, the worship leader maybe thinks, oh, well, the people are really enjoying my worship this morning. But, you know, it's not about the worship leader, is it? You know, we know that. Um, it's about Jesus. We're focused on him. In reading the story, uh, we see that Jesus is riding uh, into town, and uh, there probably would have been about 
like tens of thousands of people in the city at the time. So chances are that as he was riding in and people were gathering and the crowd was growing, there actually would have been a, a massive number of people with him. And it says, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted. So Jesus is actually at the center of this entire procession. And as they're singing these words, Hosanna, Jesus is right in the middle and he is the focal point and he is the focus. It's obvious here that, that Jesus is the reason everyone is there. All attention, all focus is on him. You know, this reminded me of a verse in Hebrews 12. Some of you might be familiar with it. And it says this, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of, God, of, the, of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him, Jesus, who endured the cross. He is the focal point of our worship. Now, I wonder if I was just to do something, and um, I'm just going to ask you to say who, who, who it reminds you of, see if you remember, maybe some sports fans, see if I can do it. Uh, you seem bold. Awesome. Very good. Yeah, I was thinking about this. He's been doing that for like years and years, right? But it's kind of like a pre-dab. You know, that, like, everyone know what a dab is? Like, that thing's ridiculous. Um, no one knows where it came from or what it means, but Usain Bolt's kind of been doing it for years. Anyway, maybe that's where it came from. Um, uh, I, was, I was actually in Jamaica in the run-up to the 2012 Olympics, um, which were in London, and I, w I was there with a team from Northern Ireland, and we were running uh, holiday clubs, um, for kids, so we got to travel all throughout the island of Jamaica. It's quite small, and uh, meet all these kids, and you'd see all the kids running, and we would be talking about the Olympics, and they'd all be doing their thing, you know, thinking they're really cool. They were really cool. Um, all the lads were just totally obsessed with it, obsessed with it, and uh, you know that summer, Usain Bolt actually went on to win the 200 meter and the 100 meter. I think he won something else as well. You know, I'm sure all the kids when they were watching it just were absolutely going for it after that. Um, but apparently, I'm not a runner, but apparently part of the training for runners, Dave, you can help me with this, uh, is uh, w when you're in your lanes lined up with everyone else and you're about to go, the advice is to just look straight ahead, nowhere else. Just don't look to the right, don't look to the left, don't check where you are, just just go, just absolutely run straight ahead. You know, there's this thing in worship that um, it's a moment to come and just focus, and just look at Jesus, just look at no one else. And so often we can walk into maybe this room, maybe other rooms, and we can be worried about the people to the right or to our left. And actually it's saying in the scripture, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. You um, say both. Fixes it on the on the prize when he came in first place. I think when we um, consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, the scripture says that we won't grow weary and we won't lose heart. I wonder um, how you came to church this morning, uh, whether it's been a good week or not so good week. Um, Maybe there's some anxiety, maybe there's worry, maybe there's celebration, maybe there's fear. 
maybe there's some negative words kind of floating around from um, someone that said something to us. And when we gather to worship, I just want to encourage you that it gives us an opportunity to actually just throw all that other stuff off and go, no, I'm not going to listen to the words that someone else said to me this week. I'm not going to listen to the fear or the anxiety. In this moment, my focus is on Jesus. In this moment, my focus is on him. You know, something amazing happens when we begin to do that. Our, our viewpoint actually begins to change. We begin to remember who he is and what he's done for us. We begin to remember that he's good, that he's kind, that his mercies are new every morning, that his love never ends. And all of a sudden, we begin to see our problems from a heavenly perspective instead of an earthly perspective. So although our situation that we've come in with carrying might not be changing, we begin to change on the inside and hope begins to rise. I don't know if you felt that this morning when we were singing. We sang Cornerstone and it's through the storm, your Lord. And when we were thinking about um, you, Jesus, you have won me, thinking about those moments when Jesus first called us into a relationship with him. It changes our perspective and our problems become smaller because our God is bigger. So hope was rising for the crowd as they were surrounding him with praise. And, um, you know, they weren't just before him and they weren't just in front of him, but it says that they shouted. And this, this story is actually uh, told in all four of the Gospels. And I looked up all four and they all say that the people shouted, cried out with a loud voice, said these words. And, um, you know, we like to turn up the volume a little bit when we when we begin to worship and uh sure we've got a range of opinions on that in the room <laughs> and I'm okay with that but I think what I call that for us is when we turn the volume up is it's passion and it's in our mission statement that we want to be uh, a worshipping community of Jesus followers passionate we want to be passionate passionate worshippers and I want to encourage you this morning um, if there's passion inside of you that you're not letting out let it out because when you do it it gives permission to all the people around you to go for it as well You know, maybe um, you're not feeling too passionate at the minute. Um, and I can't just tell you, be passionate. And you go, okay. No, it doesn't doesn't work like that, does it? So my encouragement um, for you is that uh, passion doesn't pop out of, up out of nowhere. It actually grows. And if you want your passion to grow and I'll gather times of worship, if you want to turn up and just be ready to worship Jesus, um, my encouragement is to go and spend some time with him in the secret place on your own. Think about his goodness. Think about his mercy. Learn about him in his word. You know, we can we can turn up and we can encourage each other to worship, and that's a really that's a really great thing. But ultimately, it takes personal investment for passion to grow on the inside. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted with a loud voice. It's a passionate procession, and the focal point was none other than Jesus. Point number three, last point. Um, worship is a choice. Uh, we look at verses 9 and 10. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. There's actually amazing significance in these words. Um, if we look at this word, Hosanna, uh, Specifically, the rest of the words are taken straight out of Psalm 118. 
um, which is traditional uh, Hebrew kind of celebration and praise. Um, but the word Hosanna specifically, as well as being used as an exclamation of praise, it literally means save. Save now. So the people saw Jesus coming in and their response was, save us. So this amazing thing is actually happening as, as Jesus is entering. It's not just uh, people are shouting, and, yeah, that's, that's a good time, it looks fun. They're actually desperate for a saviour. And the people that were there would have been following Jesus around during all his other miracles as well. They would have been seeing the signs and wonders. They would have been seeing all the wonderful things he can do. And as they're thinking about all those things, uh, they're praising him. But but it's like two things are happening. Same breath, they're also saying, save now. So they're recounting what God has done. And at the same moment, they're saying, save now. You know, remember, there hadn't been a prophet for hundreds of years, and the people of God were under oppressive Roman rule. And they made a choice in the midst of their storm, actually, to worship him and say, Jesus, will you save us now? We've seen you do all these things. Will you do it again? You made a way. Where there was no. no. You know, I've been a few times, uh, my pal Simon and I have, uh, he's not in Aberdeen anymore, but he used to be in Aberdeen. There was a few times we decided to um, just go for a wee dip in the North Sea. Has, has anyone been in the North Sea? No wets it? No wets it? Summer? I mean, it's, it's, this is probably actually the best time. If you want to go, now is the time. Do it. The sea has been, <laughs> let's all just go today. Um, the sea's been heating up for weeks, you know, it's a good time. But... Uh, there was one day Simon and I decided to go for a dip in the North Sea, no wetsuit, just because your student have nothing else to do. And uh, this kind of thing would usually happen every time. Simon would be a bit braver than me. He would, you know, be quick down to his trunks and he'd be straight in. And while I'm still getting changed, he's like swimming around, just having a really nice time. The water's fine, and I'm like, oh, it doesn't look fine. I think it was like a spring you know, fresh kind of afternoon, so, you know, it's pretty, like, pretty cold, so, you know, I got into my trunks, and I'm standing there watching Simon just, like, swimming around, having a great time, it's fine, it's fine, it's actually quite warm, it's not warm, talking rubbish, I'm standing up, up to my ankles, and I'm, you know, I'm saying to Simon, it doesn't feel very warm, it doesn't feel very warm here, I don't think I want to go in, you know, I was waiting to to feel something before I decided to go in and join Simon. Um, I was waiting uh, to feel it, and I think, you know, you'll agree with me, if I'd waited until I'd felt warm, I, I don't think I ever would have gone in. You know, I had to go in before I felt it. And then my body adjusted and it adjusts the temperature. And I think maybe there's some of us here this morning, we're waiting to, to feel something before we choose to worship. We're waiting till we get the warm and fuzzies, I call it, you know. Oh, God's amazing. Yeah, it's so good. I really, I really feel it in my heart this moment. And actually, the reality is we're not called to be a people that are led by our feelings. We're actually called to be a people that make decisions and make choices and follow what is true. Um, so maybe for some of us this morning, we actually just need to make a decision. 
I'm speaking to myself as well. We need to say, I don't. I know I don't feel this right now. I don't feel like God is good. I can see all the things going on in my life, but actually, I know He's good, and I'm going to worship Him anyway. See, the people um, of God had a confident expectation of Jesus that He was to deliver them and that He was going to save them. They hadn't been saved yet, but their decision was to worship. He was their hope, and their decision was to worship Him. It comes from confident expectation that God is good and he is good, that the God is God and he is good. I wonder if we, uh, City Church Kingswells, can be the kind of community that decide to worship him in the storm and when we're standing in the rubble and it's all falling down and we can still decide to say, no, God is God and God is good. Um, got one more story and then probably move into some ministry. Um, there's a... I owe like quite a lot of my spiritual formation uh, as a person, as a follower of Jesus, to my time in youth group. And I'm super grateful for that. And uh, there was one, one, one of the leaders involved with it in particular uh, that was especially encouraging to me. And he um, used to tell the story uh, about a time that he decided to worship. But just to tell you a bit about this guy, like he was the guy at the front of, you know, the worship room every time. He would be like. He did this like bouncy thing, kind of like this. He'd be dancing, and he's this like, you know, 40, 45 year old man. Like he looked, he, look, he looked absolutely ridiculous, but he didn't care. It was awesome. He was just worshiping. Um, and uh, he, he he tells a story. He he had a he had a daughter, um, still does, but he uh, had had this daughter, and um, she suffered uh, really badly from from mental illness, actually. And there was one time in particular where um, uh, there was some self-harm and some, some really bad stuff. And they were in a situation where they, they needed to get her to the hospital really, really quick. And uh, he describes the story of him sitting in the back of the car while his wife is racing to the hospital. And um, she's in his arms. And he says that his decision in that moment was actually to worship. And, and over her, he's just singing about Jesus. And he's just praising him. That story absolutely wrecked me the first time I heard it because he had every reason not to give God any praise or any glory at all because his world's falling apart. His daughter's sick. She's um, maybe going to lose her life. And his decision was actually to worship. And I'm wondering if uh, for us, uh, our praise can actually um, bring us uh, some some transition. And for him, his testimony is... Um, that despite his circumstances, he chose to praise God. And in doing so, he transitioned from a place of despair into hope. See, worship, when we choose to uh, worship in the storm and in the difficult place, it actually transi transitions us into a place of hope. And uh, we don't despair because we know who God is. And we begin to see from his perspective. Worship is a choice. You know, he's, we were singing about it today. God's given each of us a story of his goodness and his mercy. Um, recounting the goodness of God and choosing to worship through the storm restores hope and gives us heaven's perspective. It's not based on circumstances. It's not based whether you feel it or not. God is God and he is faithful and he's good and he's trustworthy and his mercy is on you every morning and his love has no end for us. And that's what they were singing. Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Why don't we 
stand together and we'll 